Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I am Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. It's the off season, so things are a little, well, you'd think they'd be a little slow, although it has been a quite eventful off season for the Blazers, and we aren't even through the playoffs yet, so... Uh, Dave, how 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 are you doing? I can give you a little sight insight. You want inside inside Blazers Edge talk? So yeah. in, the, in the off season, you know, general target is to get around three posts up a day. You know, it's, it's like give or take. We got nine up today. Nine. <laughs> so it doesn't feel like the off season. It's there's a yeah. lot going on. So and we aren't even through the playoffs. The off season technically, I mean, even it has for us, but it hasn't really technically started yet, and we're already kind of running around like crazy. No, exactly. And you've got you know the the finals going on, the Team USA exhibitions, and everybody's freaking out about. Till today, they won. This is Tuesday, by the way, when we record this. Milwaukee Phoenix, Milwaukee won their game, and now there's positive momentum. Giannis had a huge, huge game, and uh, I'm glad. I I didn't want either team to sweep. I I don't care whether no. this is exciting. I just want both franchises to feel good about their experience. Actually, it's a weird finals that way for me. I mean, truly, if I'm being honest, even if my team is in the finals, I don't want to see a sweep. I never want to see a sweep in the actual finals, maybe like round one, round two. But when you get down to the finals, there's a part of me that thinks they've worked so hard to get here. It really sucks when there's a full blown sweep. I just don't ever like to see that. So I'm and especially in this situation where I'm removed from it and these are not my teams, I'm really glad to see and I just kind of want basketball to go on forever. Right. So give me all the games. Well losing in the finals is painful. There's no worse pain than getting to the NBA finals and not coming through, let alone in a sweep. I mean that's I, I guess you just take your medicine then, you just swallow it and say, oh, well, it wasn't meant to be. I don't know if it's worse in seven games than it is in four, but yeah, it's it's not a great experience. Uh, and as they say, the old saying, hurting feels worse than winning feels good. And I'm not sure that's true of the NBA Finals. Winning championship actually feels pretty good, but losing, yeah, that's... That's a lot. So yeah, I mean, let's hope yeah. they go to at least six games. I'd argue that it is worse to lose in the first round than to make it all the way to the finals. I think you make it at that point, and and that's at least that's an accomplishment. I mean, that's How one of those things that people How list. How old are you now? How you know? Uh, I'm 36. Okay, so you were <laughs> when they when they lost in the finals in 1992. You were around then. I was seven, but I was there. I mean, I I remember it. I remember it. It's not a pleasant thing, but it's something that like, you know, I mean, we talk about these things like when we're, when we're rattling off, you know, accomplishments of the team Well, they had a, you know, they made it to the Western conference finals. They made it to like, whatever they were the Western conference final champs. Like those are accomplishments. So, you know, you make it to the finals and, and that's an accomplishment just to make it to win your conference that's an accomplishment. So it's tough. You make it to the finals and then you're so close. You're so close. And then to lose, 
It's gonna be. It's always tough. It's always tough for well, someone. You know what the funny thing is, though. Everybody thinks the worst team in the league is the one who lost in the finals. They're the ones that get the most crap because everyone saw them lose. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter. You're literally the second best team in the league, probably. Right. Or no worse than third most years. But everybody sees you lose, so everybody's down on you. And it's like, dude, this is probably the best season my franchise has had in forever. So don't beg on me, but it feels that way. I have a blazer hat that says Portland Trailblazers, and then it says one-time NBA champs. Like, I was wearing it the other day, and somebody commented on that and was kind of laughing. And I was like, hey, there there are franchises that haven't won ever so i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and boast my accomplishment well not mine i wasn't there i didn't do it but i'm just saying like it's let's let's take what we can let's take what we can but you were there for the one-time summer league championship Woo! <laughs> and actually that championship lasted for like two years or whatever hey you know what let's let's not get down on any accomplishments Wait at this point let's blazers take are them. still the reigning summer league champs aren't they <laughs> it's true it's true yes <laughs> oh you can't it's take true. that title we're the blazers are the whole token of nba summer league they're, they, they're there going will, to reign for years and years and years there will probably never be another summer league champ that carries over that long oh yes absolutely See, there you go okay our blazers claim to fame that's right the rain. We need shirts. Still, we need t-shirts. <laughs> longest summer league champions ever, and they're going to change the tournament at some point, probably because you know they they may have done it this year. Actually, I read something about tweaks, or I don't know. I got to look into it before I speak on that. But at some point, I think they're going to get rid of that whole tournament thing, and so the Blazers will probably go down in history as yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm just saying. Claim I'm saying. T-shirts are uh, need to be in the works for this. I'm pretty sure. I think we need a list of all the T-shirts that we've come up with since doing this podcast. It's been a few. We need a. We need to start a a, a shop, Dave. A T-shirt shop. Exactly. <laughs> We've kind of gotten sidelined here. Two weeks ago, we spent a very long podcast talking about the the coaching hire. Um, last week, we were kind of picking up some pieces, but there are some things that we've, well, one thing, one big thing that we kind of missed because it happened in the midst of all the coaching stuff that is definitely worth talking about, and that is Zach Collins. Um, if you are not following along, Zach Collins, who is still a trailblazer, despite the fact that he has not played because of an injury, um, has rebroken or refractured. I'm not sure exactly technically what the term was for this particular instance, but uh, he is down for the count once again in the off season, which is just, that's just painful. It's painful. It's almost even more painful than when it happens in a game where they're actually, you know, at least you were, I don't want to say at least you were doing something because I'm sure he was doing something, but like at least you were contributing to hopefully a win or something. I don't know. There's never a good time for injury, but man, what a what a heartbreaking re-injury for for Zach Collins. Injuries are always devastating, but man, that's just it's so frustrating. It's such a frustrating thing. I'm sure for him, um, as frustrating it is as it is for us as fans, I'm sure for Zach Collins, he's he's so irritated. He has to be. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Most people, or many people, I think had already counted him out. That like, he was barely mentioned as part of the lineup, and any talk about him was if he ever comes back and still suits up for Portland. And that was before this re-injury. So at a certain point, you got to chalk it up and say anything else that we hear from him. Period is found money, and I hope he gets to play again. Nice movement, great 
really good defensive instincts. You could see the defensive promise promise in him. It wasn't like he was a a bust or no, that he had no. no no business being on the team. At the same time, this is just a big miss for the Blazers and a tragic story for him. And we've been over that, all the players who were drafted after him that they could have had, and they moved up to get him, and then he panned out. Now, this will not be uh, the same as Sam Bowie or Greg Oden in that kind of significance, but yet another example of the Blazers taking a swing on somebody and injuries taking away that chance. Yeah, and Zach was fun. You know, he's one of those guys that just added spice to the team. He was a trash talker in the best possible way. You know, even his time on the bench during his injury, you could see his, there's, there's a few kind of infamous interactions that he had with the other teams. He was, you know, constantly building up the guys and, and wearing funky outfits and just giving us stuff to talk about, even though he wasn't playing. And I, I'm just sad. I'm just sad for that. I don't know what this means. I don't know. I mean, obviously he's not really movable at this point, but like what, what do you do? I mean, he's in contract, so he just stays. Do we just keep him and he just stays on the bench again? Like, what What happens? I don't, I don't even know. Blazers have a choice whether to make a qualifying offer to him. He has a choice whether or not to accept it and then, you know, become a restricted free agent. Or they could renegotiate a new deal with him. I, I don't see any, any way that happens. Uh, or they could just right. let him go. Is his he, contract up this year? What's that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, oh, okay. I didn't realize. I didn't realize his contract was up this year. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, and he's still on his rookie deal. So, financially, yeah. there's not a big hit from that. It's it's all opportunity cost. It's yeah. what could, who could they have drafted and the difference that could have made. It's rough. It's, it's rough to read his story personally. It's rough to put his tenure here in Portland in context and what it could have meant to the Blazers and yeah. what it did end up meaning. The, 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 the part I have is, honestly, I think he would have helped. I think that they would have been better off with him playing power forward than Carmelo Anthony, frankly. At the same time, I don't think that he would have made the difference between a first round exit and a finals appearance. That's a little much, even if you, if you postulate yeah. him at the peak of his ability, which is a referendum on their assessment of him and their selection of him. Now, obviously, yeah. no one is perfect uh, in, in making those judgments. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's awful hard to read, you know, Bam Adebayo is, was out there. <laughs> and they don't have him. And he's really, right. really good. And the right. arc would have been much different had he been the pick. All the way around, for the franchise, for him individually, it's, it's just kind of a sad story. And you hate it when a player's presence or career with your franchise ends up being that kind of story. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and you always, I always think, again, the thing that we, I say all the time that these guys are, are people first. And I think, you know, to have made it, to have been drafted into the NBA and to have seen substantial playing time on an NBA team, you know, and an NBA team with, with big names on it and get to, you know, get to have that experience and then just have that ripped away by injury, especially in this case where, you know, he, he worked through it. He did the therapy. He did the, you know, the, all the working to come back and should have been returning. And then to go through all of that 
and instead re-injure it and be back there again. If it's tragic, that's just tragic. No matter who the person is, no matter if you like them or not, or think they would have been a good fit or helped the team. It's just a tragic story. It's just a tragic, tragic thing. That's a person with dreams and aspirations that are being, you know, put on hold. And that's, that's just always tragic to me. So I hope good things for him, whatever that looks like, whether he continues with his NBA journey or not. You know, I just, I wish the best for, for Zach Collins and, and I hope this is not the last we see of him. He will play basketball again somewhere if his body allows it at all. I mean, he's had multi-point injuries now. The injuries have been in different places, which is scarier, you know, but at the same time, I believe that he will be able to recover enough to play basketball somewhere. I believe he might get another look in the NBA. Maybe it will even be in Portland. I mean, who knows what they're going to do if they have extra money to throw around. Uh, you know, maybe they keep him on that qualifying offer or well, whatever it is, you know, but... If not, you know, Neil, he'll bring him back because it's someone he drafted. So. Recycling, yes. That said, uh, I think he'll have a chance to show up somewhere. It's just, it seems like a long shot now that he will have a significant career in the NBA. And, and that's tough. And, you know, and, and it's not just, I mean, the injuries are part of it. But, you know, your basketball development, he was, he was raw right. when he came in. Right. And these were the years where he was going to learn and grow. And that takes three or four years for a big man anyway. Well, yep. I mean, he's had those and he hasn't been able to play for most of them. So now he's headed, you know, to his uh, later 20s and still doesn't have the experience from his early 20s. That's that's an awful tough, you know, yeah. that's a tough thing. It's not tough to imagine him playing spot minutes somewhere. It is tough to imagine him developing the career that the Blazers thought he would have. We also acquired two new coaches in this time. So we've got Roy Rogers, which I, you know, just keep picturing cowboy on a horse. Uh, I don't know if there's any getting around that. There's those jokes are going to fly probably for his entire tenure in Portland mm -hmm. and Scott Brooks. So two new coaches added to, to the coaching staff. What do you think? What do you think of these? Well, uh, Brooks was brought in for his experience, obviously. Head coaching uh, has been with the Thunder, took them to the finals with Durant, Harden, and Westbrook. So he has experience there. Uh, his tenure with the Wizards was mediocre and punctuated. Now, uh, look, that was a franchise in transition. So it's not necessarily fair to judge him on wins and losses, and maybe not even on culture. But there have been issues. There have been issues with him interpersonally with people, and there have been issues with the franchise that he coached. There's a reason he's not there. Now, uh, I don't want to drag him, but I, you know, he was not, frankly, the first person I thought of when I thought experienced head coach that's going to be a steadying force and good for the culture. Maybe he will be. Maybe things will be different. I'm, I'm not saying they can't be, but he, he was not on my list uh, of people who would fulfill those roles. You have any thoughts on Brooks? I'll be honest. Coaches, especially staff coaches. I know, I know he was a head coach, so I, uh, there's a little bit there, but I, I don't always know a ton. Um, and I don't always feel like I can tell what difference a coach is going to make. When I found out that he had been hired, I called a friend of mine who played under him and said, what do you think? And he had nothing but positive things to say. So that gives me hope that, you know, um, at least that's one person that enjoyed playing with him. And so I'm hopeful that he's going to end up being great. You know, I mean, sometimes you end up with the wrong fit or the wrong, you know, and, and Portland, we talk about this all the time, 
is infamous for creating this culture. I'm going to go ahead and hold on to that for now and hope that that continues. And so maybe it'll be a great fit and he'll be good. I, I do think that with Billups' lack of experience, we need some people who have some experience. So good or bad, I guess I'm glad that they have somebody now on the staff who has had that head coaching experience who will hopefully be uh, maybe a voice of reason, maybe a voice of experience. Uh, we'll see. It's so hard because I feel like there's so many unknowns. You know, nobody knows what what Billups is going to be like as a coach because he's hasn't been one. He's been an assistant coach for one year. We know very little about his coaching ability. And so it's hard to really be, you know, to feel one way or another about a coaching team that's put around him because you you don't know. I don't know. It just feels very unknown to me. It feels very unknown. It feels like it, this could go a lot of different ways. I don't know. I think I'm still struggling to even just really get on board with coaches. I, I think at this point, I'm so, I'm just struggling with all of that. And so there's not a lot of any feeling. I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm just glad when there's not some legal controversy. You have to trust a person in that lead assistant position in this case, because you know that person's been a head coach and in Brooks' case for multiple years, right? right. He has the experience. As you say, one factor is that Billups has almost not kind of not had any as far as his track right. record. Okay. And people ask this, well, why don't you write about basketball with Billups? Because there's nothing to write about. <laughs> there's literally no discernible track record. I mean, we did write a little bit, but it's mostly guesswork. So you have a vulnerable coach that way. Uh, and a coach trying to find his footing with a fairly experienced and well set team too. So that's precarious. That's pressure point number one. Pressure point number two is that lead assistant who, what's their motive? And I think some of them are great, could be loyal to the coach in front of them. But that lead assistant also usually has the inside track with the players that the assistant coach is meant to be the player's coach. The head coach makes the tough decisions, becomes the bad guy. The assistant coach smooths it over and becomes the liaison, right? Well, when your lead assistant has also been a head coach, probably thinks he should be a head coach, and by the way, has eight, time the, eight times the experience of the current head coach, there's always that danger of, well, where's the boundary? And yeah. you know, how do you, uh, are you supporting? Are you undermining? And I know nothing about Brooks in this way. I know nothing about Billups in this way. I'm just talking about systemic dangers. That's another right. serious pressure point because it can very quickly slip sideways, especially if Billups uh, fumbles or loses control of the reins somewhere. The temptation will be for Brooks to pick them up. And then yep. where are you? And the third pressure point is, obviously, well, we mentioned part of it. You got Damian Lillard, who is the, uh, his reputation and his influence on the franchise towers over both of them put together, right? Would you rather dispense of Brooks and Billups or dispense of Lillard? And you're like, I will, I will lose a hundred Brooks and Billups's before I lose one yeah. Lillard, right? So obviously he has the cachet and the gravity there, but also there's intense pressure to win right now right now not next summer not next year right yep. right 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 now so there's not a lot of tolerance for mistakes there's a lot there's, there's a lot of under, underlying systemic tension there this looks like potentially a toxic stew there's it's yeah, a very difficult position to come into whether you are billups whether you are brooks or to live through if you are lillard there's going to be a lot of things that can go wrong and a lot of pressure on them to get it right fairly flawlessly and rather quickly. Uh, I don't like, I don't like this looking ahead. This is not how you would design it, but here we are. 
Yeah, I mean, you really summed that up well. I I don't even know if there's anything to add to that. Honestly, I think it, it there's so many ways that this could go. And I feel like it could go really, really bad and just completely blow up. Or it could go okay and maybe it'll be good. I, I don't know. But it just, it, it definitely feels like a potentially toxic situation. Like you said, I think that was a really w- good way to say it. It just feels, it just, it just feels like a lot. It right. just feels like a lot. Now, Rogers, uh, I don't know a lot about him, but I've heard from a couple people generally appreciative of that hire in terms of he seems to have a good command of X's and O's. And his specialties are centers and defense. So uh, if you're looking for more from Yusuf Nurkic or you're looking for better defense, he might be able to help. Now, the question would be how much can a second assistant or third assistant help out? But I think we saw with Terry Stott's staff that there were people like David Vanderpool that did make a difference. Uh, I don't think Rodgers will be a sweeping hire, and I think there's real danger of him getting swept up. Whatever the system is, Rodgers will not be able to stand against that. If it's toxic, he's going to experience that too. If it's not, he'll have a chance to flourish. So he's not going to make that kind of difference. But he's kind of a little ray of hope, like, okay, even if you're sketchy about the other hires, the Blazers might have done a a good thing there. I think a lot of that is going to fall on you know, how things go, because we don't know, again, how Billups is going to be as a coach. The coaches that were under Stotts were allowed to move and run with things in in a lot of ways. And so they were allowed to be difference makers, whereas we don't know how it's going to be with Billups yet. Maybe he'll be that same kind of coach where he really lets his staff run with things and make a difference. And in that case, then we see a difference with defense. We see a difference with Nurkic. Maybe we see some of those things. But if he's not that kind of coach, if he's the kind of coach that really wants to keep it tight and keep his own hand on things, then we may not see that as much. So there's just a lot. There's a lot of unknown going into the the coaching decisions this this season. Um, a lot of unknown in a lot of ways. There's just, it, it, it's it's really hard to even predict. Well, here's the pressure point too on the floor. Here's, here's where we're going to find out. If they're smart, they're going to basically let Lillard run. And Lillard, I hope, will take coaching because if he doesn't, I think they're all screwed. If he's just like, I'm going to be me, I'm not listening to you, then nobody else, they're done before this. But that doesn't line up with who he is as a player. We've never seen him do that, so I would be surprised. Probably. Yeah, I I, I mostly agree with you. But the point being, I think that they understand the balance there too. So Lillard's not going to be asked to change that much, okay? Right. That said, if Lillard is going to be Lillard, which is great for the Blazers, by the way, the next two people that have got to make changes are CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic. And both of them have flaws in their games. And both of them are used to, in a way, especially McCollum, kind of getting by with those. If the staff wants to succeed, they're going to need to get more or something different out of those two players. How they respond I think will determine the success or failure of this coaching staff. Uh, well, I mean, it could be systemic as well. Maybe their system sucks, then nothing will help. But let's assume the system is okay and everything else goes okay. It's how much CJ is willing to adapt his game, how much Nurkic is willing to adapt his game, and if they have to take criticism or fewer minutes in order to get the message across, are they going to live with that? What happens if you pull CJ? That's never happened, by the way. But what happens if you pull CJ and he plays lesser minutes to, to prove a point and he has to learn what to do or whatever, and then the Blazers lose? What is that atmosphere like? 
Okay. Oh. We already know what happens when you do that to Nurkic. He's not real happy. Well, nobody's going to be real happy with no, that. Nobody's going to take that sitting down. Well, yeah, but there's there's not real happy in terms of I personally not real happy and I got to fix this. And I'm not there's I'm not real happy and I'm going to cannonball into this pool of, you know, cheesed offedness. And Nurkic and this, has been more the second kind. Like you get splashed. Yeah. When Nurkic's angry, everybody knows it. Everybody gets splashed. Yeah. I think a lot of that, again, is going to go to the atmosphere. If this is a toxic environment, this is a toxic atmosphere, then even the most composed of players, which I tend to think CJ is pretty composed, and I think he tends to control himself pretty well. Even for somebody like that, if it's a bad environment and and things are not flowing well, we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more of that anger. We're going to see more of that frustration. And, And it's just, I just feel like there's such a setup here for potential disaster. <laughs> I, I mean, I've heard a lot of talk of, well, how much difference can coaching really make if you don't change the roster, if you don't change the lineup? And I tend to agree with that to some degree, but I'll tell you what, it can make a real bad difference real quick if the environment isn't good. Those same players who who we brag about chemistry and, and culture and how well they get along and how positive they are and what good people they are can turn real quick if it's a toxic environment. So, you know, I, oh, Dave. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> these coaches are going to be walking through a maze and they're going to have to negotiate a lot of stuff. And of course, the big, the huge pit that they've got to stay out of is what if it becomes known as it kind of did LaMarcus Aldridge, although it was covered up from most people until they actually did it. But remember Aldridge in his final year, there was rumors that he was on the way out the door and the Blazers actually did so little to address it that I actually thought that can't be true. And I wrote like, okay, Based on the tea leaves, it cannot be true that Aldridge is leaving. Otherwise, they're being incredibly stupid. And guess what? He left, (laughs) right? Yeah. Okay. What if it kind of becomes understood that this really isn't working and this is Dame's last year? At that point, just it goes south. At that point, why why would anyone listen to anybody at that point? Because the team is going to change so radically in the coming season, and there's nothing to build toward that's going to look like it does. There's no use tinkering on this automobile when you know you're going to change out the entire engine, right? That's going to make life near impossible for the coaches. So, I mean, there are all these possibilities of ways that they can slip into sinkholes that have very little to do with their own personal acumen and has a lot to do with the situation they find themselves in. And it's going to be tricky to negotiate your way through the 52 bad outcomes to find the three narrow avenues to which you can make this work. And you need to have a little luck, a lot of help, and a lot of cohesiveness. We'll see if they can get that. It's just really hard with everything going on to imagine this season going smoothly. There's so much unrest. Even the players, the comments that have been made by the players since they the early exit in the first round, you know, some of the, the media that's gone around about the players and things like that. And, and granted, unless it's coming from their own mouths, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, and, and, and the unrest with the fans, there's just so much unrest and so much that just, I, I don't see how this is going to be a normal season for the Blazers. And I'm honestly a little afraid. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that seems dramatic. I feel this kind of impending sense of doom. My unicorns aren't happy. <laughs> That's not unwarranted because usually when this atmosphere 
is present, it does fall apart. I mean, I, I watched, I was in Minnesota when Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury were the thing and literally watched that fall apart over the course of basically a season. And you could smell it coming. And Minnesota was not a brand new franchise at that point, but this was their first brush with potential greatness and also their first descent into uh, absolute misery. And so everyone was incredibly naive about it. Well, the Blazers had been through a little bit of that before. So watching it happen, you could see, okay, they, they have no idea this storm that's coming. They're sticking their fingers in their ears and la la lawing their way through it. But it is here. Blazer fans are having to do a little bit of the same stuff right now. And that's not a good sign. It's not destiny. Maybe they will pull the miracle and pull it out. And more power to them if they do. But that storm is not a good sign. And, and your uh, trepidation is probably pretty well founded at this point, because usually what happens right now is the culture and the team does fall apart and it gets ugly. This is where we have to kind of figure out how we move forward, because, you know, we did the podcast a couple of weeks ago that focused on Billups, that focused on the press conference, that focused on the bigger issue here. And I kind of felt like, OK, we've, we've said this, we've done this. Let's move on continue with the podcast as normal. Um, and I've mentioned, I mentioned on that podcast that, you know, for me, I don't want this to become my identity. I don't want this to become the thing that I constantly talk about, but then you move on for a little while and then something else comes up again. And so here we are this week now with more headlines about Billups and it's, it's, and uh, here's another insight from Blazer's Edge. You know, I, I'm watching the Slack conversations and how do we deal with this as a site, how, you know, do we continue talking about this? Is this a negative thing? Is this a positive thing? Like, how do we, how do we approach this as, as a site, as a site that's covering a team where this is kind of the center of the news right now with this team, but we also don't want to lose sight of, of the actual team. And, and we also don't want to beat a dead horse, but also is the horse really dead? That's a terrible analogy, but there's just, there's a lot surrounding that. So, so I say all of that to say, you know, more stuff has come up. Right. And let's, let's hold on for a second, Dee, because I hear the, the reticence in your voice. And I want to, I've been through this kind of thing, not exactly this situation with the coach, obviously before, but the people who are being most negative and threatening you with this will define you and you are whatever to bring this up are, are the people whose respect you don't really want anyway because it's not really respect, it's conformity. And that is basically true, that people will threaten you with, you are being unfair and you are bringing this up again and you are so unfair, you know, mired in this and this is your obsession or whatever. It's not really yours, it's kind of theirs. And it's theirs in the sense of cannot hear any facts, cannot hear any new news. And it's totally, it, it will flip on the switch. This is how it works. Oh, you don't have any substantiating stories. You don't have any substantiating sources. The story isn't complete or whatever it is. Okay, well, here's another story. Oh, no, you're talking about this all the time. And you never stood, shut up about it. Okay, wait, wait, which, which is it? <laughs> either either you, you don't say enough, or you say too much, or you said it in the wrong way, or whatever. What it amounts to is... We don't want to hear this. We want to believe something different than we're being told. Do not tell us anything different than we want to hear. And if you do, you are either a bad person, a wrong person, or we are going to threaten you. From a site perspective, we ignore that. And there's yeah. nothing else we can do because we've got to share what's out there and also share sometimes our thoughts about that. Although I would point out that 
for a while, you know, since the opening, you shared, I shared an article, you shared an article, and we allowed five other women to share an article. That's all we've shared about our own personal interpretations of this. Everything else has just been news conferences. Well, I suppose there is a podcast here, but news conferences and other stories that are coming out in the media. These are basically right. factual investigations. And yes, you know what? You're not wrong, and we're not wrong for sharing those because those are facts. Those are things that people are uncovering. And by the way, the Blazers are a contributing factor because they keep denying those right. facts or suggesting that reality is different. And you know what? They've done this for years on basketball matters. But right. when it gets to real life, you can't do that. That literally hurts people. It's not okay. And so when alternate or other facts come out that show that the Blazers are not being entirely forthcoming, that needs to be said. Yeah. And I mean, I think the truth of it for me, honestly, Dave, is I don't want to talk about it. I would have been perfectly happy never knowing any of this. I'll give a disclaimer that obviously this is something that needs to be dealt with and, and it should have come out long before it even got to this point. That being said, if I had never known about this, there's a saying, ignorance is bliss. And there's a reason for that saying, because I could have continued on my merry way and never had to face this and never had to deal with this. The truth is, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to keep bringing it up. I don't want to keep seeing more. I, you know, I, I want to move on. I want to be able to enjoy the team that I love playing basketball. But that's not the reality of this situation. The reality of the situation is it can't be something that's just swept under the rug and forgotten in a month or a year or whatever it is. It's something that, in my opinion, and I've said this so many times since we started this conversation, there needs to be some change, franchise change, league change. There needs to be some change. And so until that happens, we have to keep having these conversations, no matter how much I don't want to. This is hard. This is hard stuff. I feel, again, the need to reiterate the fact that for me, this is a bigger issue than Chauncey Billups as Portland's head coach. This is a bigger issue than that. My issue, I've said before, he had every right to apply for this job. This was a decision that was made by the franchise. I don't agree with it. I think there are things that should have been in, in place, policies and procedures and all that. My issue is not with Chauncey Billups specifically. My issue, my big issue is with the fact that this is not being addressed on the level of the league, that these things, there are not policies and procedures and things in place. This isn't just going away. This isn't something that's just going to be swept under the rug. This is something that's going to continue to be brought up until the franchise deals with this head on and faces these questions head on and gives answers that are transparent people are going to continue to bring this up. This is going to continue to be a conversation. This is going to continue to be something that, in my opinion, is probably going to overshadow a season of players that don't deserve that. It's going to overshadow a lot of things that are going to happen this year. And it's frustrating. I'm tired of it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. But that's not an option. Well, and it's more than just a league, too. I think the Blazers themselves have contributed to this mightily, as we talked about in our The franchise. The, the, the franchise. The Blazers have, yeah. The, the franchise has. The, the way the front office has handled this, the way yeah. the powers that be have handled this, have, have actively made it worse. They not only haven't yeah. addressed it, they've yeah. made it worse. And by the way, that's what these recent articles are about. They're yeah. not just primarily—I uh, mean, they, they involve the facts of the case— 
but mostly they're out there because they're claiming, and I think rightfully so, that the Blazers misrepresenting misrepresented yes. the facts of the case, their statements about the case, completely obliterating. Uh, you know, any side of the story that didn't agree with them. And also, I mean, the OPB thing that just came out today, borderline lying about their vetting procedure to a reasonable, uh, a neutral observer. It would look like their vetting procedure that they said is quote unquote proprietary, which I don't know what that means in this context, was not to a standard that most people would consider adequate in these cases. And yet they won't talk about it. Uh, so someone else dug into it and yep. got as many facts as possible about it and disclosed those facts about it since the Blazers themselves didn't talk about it. It's one of those cases where probably if they felt that they could justify it, they probably should have been more transparent and said exactly yep. what they did. And then everybody probably would have said, well, right or wrong, whether we think that's adequate, at least they shared it with us. By yeah. keeping that away and kind of the disdain for the question, they actively, it was like inviting people to look into it. And they have. Yeah, I think that at the core of this, we're not going to get away from it until they're transparent, sure. until they can sit down and say, look, here's where we're at and actually have an honest conversation about some of this stuff. It's going to continue to get brought up. Now, the next time Neil Olshay addresses the public, which won't be anytime soon, I'm sure, these questions are going to come up again instead of focusing on the team, instead of focusing on the players and, and what's going on and whatever else, the questions are going to come up. Well, why didn't you speak to the victim? Well, why didn't you this? Well, why? those questions, which should be asked, are going to come up. This was my point. You kind of summarized it. I couldn't get it into words. But the issue here is not any longer just Chauncey Billups higher. The issue is how the organization has handled it. The issue is how they've dodged questions and how they've been far from transparent, how they haven't been upfront or even, I mean, really like what you said, they've left us with this taste in our mouths of dishonesty. We're watching this unfold and even national media coverage is basically calling it a joke as far as how the team has dealt with it. And so it's, it's really frustrating. It's just really frustrating. I just wish that from the beginning they'd sat down They'd put it all out there and we could have all moved on and, and maybe not in the same way. Some of us are going to have to deal with this differently than others, but in some sense of the word, in some sense of the term, we could have moved past this. We could have started to look forward into the future of now what we can't even get to now what, because we're still dealing with these non-committal answers and these, this, this, Oh, it just feels like a disaster. And I think that this is a lot of why I feel that underlying sense of doom because everything is still so, it's not settled. Nothing's settled. Nothing feels normal because of all of this. Well, and people are at each other's throats and all that stuff. And the, yep. the Blazers, frankly, are depending on, and they've done this before in basketball matters. This has been their MO through much of the Olshay era. They will just make a statement that's basically outrageous and then depend on people to go and attack anyone who brings up an alternative. We've seen this happen multiple times with issues with you know players or trades or whatever. It's the same playbook here. The problem I have is the people that you're, you're basically depending on your faithful to attack are people who have already been victimized and who should not be. And by the way, have every reason and every right to speak up and ask questions. 
right? So, I yeah. mean, there's very real harm from this. The system always did kind of harm people, but the harm was limited to basketball and sports pages. Now, this is life. I mean, this is people's real lives. And, uh, you know, that the attacks are, are potentially damaging. And that's, that's not okay, but they don't have enough empathy or enough vision outside their bubble or, frankly, enough caring beyond their own selves to address that. And also, frankly, their second tactic is just to wait it out. They're like, well, you know, we have suggested you view this only through the lens of basketball and Chauncey Billups will be a good coach. Fair enough. We'll see. I mean, maybe he will be. Who knows? But they will just say, you know, we're going to wait this out. We're going to wait this out. And they're going to be 82 games soon. And then people are going to forget about it and concentrate on the basketball. And we won't have to say anymore. And we'll take the PR hit in the short term to just get them to shut up. And as you say, I'm not sure that that's going to work. But even if it did, what a terrible, I mean, gosh, you feel for all the people out there who have experienced this and hear the response, you know what, we're just going to wait you out because this will go away. Well, for people who have experienced this, it doesn't really go away. So, I mean, and I'm going to wait you out or ignore you is part of the, I, gosh, read about what people experience when they go to doctors even and express pain. I have pain I don't understand. I don't know. I can't fix it. Go home and come back in three days if it's still there. Ouch, you know, that's demoralizing. Now imagine it's an issue this big. And of course, I shouldn't say imagine. You probably don't have to. I'm sorry for speaking in your stead on in this case. But yeah, it's, it's kind of not okay. Like I said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I dread talking about it. I hate when it comes up. But this is why I continue to talk about it because of exactly what you said. I don't want it to just go away. I don't want it to just go away with, I do want it to go away, but I want it to go away because there's been change. I want it to go away because there's been a solution. I don't want it to just go away and leave all of these people wounded and hurt and feeling like the franchise and, and the league that they have cared about, that they've cheered about, that they've poured money into and support and time and whatever else just really could give a crap about them. I don't want that. I want to see change. And so even though I hate this, I hate talking about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm going to continue to talk about it until there's change. That doesn't mean that that's going to be the basis of our podcast or what I write about every week or whatever, but it does mean that it's going to continue to be an underlying storyline for lack of a better way of saying it until something changes. And, and, and that's how we make change. We make change by continuing to make noise and by continuing to follow through with, with asking for that. Yeah, well, what kills me is we're not even being activists here. We're just simply no, restating no. the stories. I mean, you and I just here right now, sure, that's a little right. bit of activism, but on site. Well, I mean, site, not, not even because, I mean, even today, you know, I got in a conversation with somebody on Twitter who said, at what point do we boycott? And I said, this isn't even about that to me. I'm not even calling for a boycott or encouraging people to boycott. For me, this is simply a matter of what can I handle? What can I take? What what do I do? I still, I have a lot of love and support for a lot of people who work in this franchise, who work for the Trailblazers, who are wonderful, amazing people. And this is how they make their living. I really love our players. They make no secret of that. And they also work for this franchise. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying like, we need to boycott this and that and whatever. And, and if you want to do that or somebody wants to do that that's their prerogative but like you said this isn't activism this is simply hoping for conversation and hoping that conversation eventually leads to change maybe that is what activism is i, I don't know perhaps yeah i mean that's a good definition of it 
maybe, or at least part of it. But look, I, I want to follow up on something you just said, too. I don't know about you, but I think we could have been bought off fairly cheaply, actually. Like, what are you looking for? Had there been any level of empathy demonstrated, I think we would be on the road to, to healing. I mean, I don't... Yeah. Look, yeah. I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even said, I want you to unhire him and fire Olshay, even though I want him gone. I, Olshay specifically, I, I would not have even called for that. Had they sat at that press conference, I, and I think I've said this more than once, had they sat at that press conference and had Billups said, listen, I have a different idea of what happened that night than she does, but clearly I caused her pain and that's on me. So this is what I've done to take steps to fix that. This is what I'm going to continue to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. And this is what I'm going to do to try to bring some sort of change or some sort of awareness or some sort of healing. If he had done that, if the team had allowed him to do that and he had stood up and done that, then I, for one, even as someone who has faced this, even as someone who is struggling with this, could have started to move forward and said, okay, all right, let's give this a shot. That would have been enough, I think, for me at that point to kind of start to adjust to this. And and that's not asking that much, in my opinion. But instead, every power that could be summoned said the opposite of that. And then everyone around was encouraged to ignore and or attack anyone who speaks something different than the power spoke, which, you know, folks, again, is why people don't tend to speak up about these things. I mean, you look at the response right here. I mean, there's fairly good documentation of at least the, the, the victim side of the story. It's out there, and there are details and stuff which actually add more cooperation than than just her, you know, spinning the yarn. I mean, there, there are details in there that are quite disturbing and, and somewhat weighty. So she has more than most people have when they speak up. And still, there's this, and this is why. This is why people don't speak, and that's the sad part. And this situation has contributed to people learning the lesson again that they should not bring this up. And that's tragic. Now, uh, let's look at the new two new details, I think, that came out in the two pieces. And that was the long piece about the legal maneuverings with the court documents and all of that stuff. But the, the key realization in that one was the victim says there was no consent and regardless of place, because she was unconscious through some of it, that any activity which happened, which was without her consent, and Billups says there was activity that happened. So you have, at minimum, two stories there, right? And, and Billups says there was engagement. There was physical uh, sexual activity there. So that wipes away that gray area about what she is saying and whether he participated because he says he participated and she says it was without consent. So there's no gray area in that sense. The other one, I think that the OPB article was significant in that it unveiled the investigation process that the Blazers went through and said basically that they talked to very few people and they didn't, they would, the person they sent would not have had access to critical documents and could not have gotten them and the investigation happened so quickly that whether people were supportive of Billups or supportive of the victim or in between almost was immaterial because the Blazers heard none of it. Uh, so what what exactly was this proprietary investigation process? It kind of appears to either have not existed or have been to have been very light. And that certainly, I think, 
people who are concerned about these things would not. That is important information, especially when the message was, trust me, we did this. Uh, it's almost like your child saying, trust me, I clean your, my room, and you walk in there and you see things sticking out from under the bed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we kind of know what happened there, and that's information that changes the story. So those are the, those are the factual developments this week. Hopefully there won't be a ton more, but I think that those were important developments to know. They do clear up some of the things. And here's the thing. I think here's why people push back, by the way, Dia, is because these were the gray areas specifically on which people were arguing this should be either passed by or excused or not talked about anymore, right? Now, we don't know. Billups says it's somewhere different, and that affects the story. Well, no. Uh, the Blazers said they did an investigation, and that clears it up. Well, no. But now those, those loopholes are out, and I think that doesn't satisfy people or change their minds. That makes the people who are going to object, no matter what, even angrier. And that, I think, is just kind of problematic. Yeah, one thing I'm learning about the internet is you can, I, I, I think I tweeted something about this the other day, that I can literally say that the sky is blue and someone's going to come back and say, no, it's indigo and you're stupid. That just seems to be the way it goes. So, you know, at the end of the day, this is a questionable situation. And, it's, you know, Dan, our Danny from Blazer's Danny Edge, mm-hmm. yeah, he has said, I've seen him tweet a couple times something along the lines of all they had to do was hire someone else. This all could have been avoided if they'd simply hired someone else. They may have had people, you know, arguing about basketball or arguing that they weren't a good enough coach or arguing that they weren't making big enough moves. Those things are happening anyway. Now, on top of that, at best, and this is something else Danny said, at best, this is a massive mess of a PR situation that will be a lesson in what not to do going forward. It just, it's just... It's just not been pretty. Yeah, I mean, but as we said, even giving them, let's say Billups really was the only guy. I mean, God knows why. But let's say he could be hired. You just, you can't do it this way. You can't, you can't do no, it this way. No, and that's, that's that's what we've said. Like, if this was what needed to happen, there were ways to do it. I have never once said, you know, that they should fire him. I've never, I, I've been very cautious about how I've talked about this. And, I, you know, a lot of it comes down to how they did it. You know, I, I, I've said for years, you can say anything to anyone if you do it the right way. And I feel like that's true in a situation like this too. Like, you could have done this in a different way and had a different result. It might have still been a little bit to clean up. There might've still been some issues, but it wouldn't have been this explosion of a mess. I do want to talk about the Olympics coming up. I guess not, I guess not the Olympics yet. Team USA, Damian Lillard is in Las Vegas right now with Team USA, part of Team USA. Part of them aren't there because they're still in the finals. Dame is out there with most of Team USA. They are playing exhibition games. They lost the first two and the internet's freaking out. Here's my thoughts on this. And I have, boy, do I have thoughts on this. First of all, calm down, internet, calm down. This is essentially a equivalent to preseason games. It's a time to adjust to the team. These guys have never played with each other before on, in this capacity with this team, and they're trying to adjust to each other, adjust to the coaching, adjust to everything else. And a note I want to say about that, you know, we talked about the fact that I was in Puerto Rico shooting in the FIBA bubble. And something that was really interesting about that was the fact that the teams that I was shooting, a lot of those teams are the teams that will go to the Olympics. The U.S. team, I don't think there was one person on the U.S. team, the women's team, 
that will go to the Olympics in that capacity because the Olympic team for the women as well as the men are professional players and they were not available for that tournament. So you had the women that went to the the FIBA tournament that I shot were college players that were very good and they essentially they won the tournament, but a lot of these other teams are playing together they're already playing together. They've been playing together, these national teams. And now granted, they're bringing a few people here and there, but they, some of these people are used to playing together and they're coming in and playing. You know, Team USA is is coming together for the first time. This is the first time they've played together. Also, FIBA rules are different than NBA rules. FIBA is a much more physical game. They, they allow a lot more fouls and things like that. The, the three-point line is a little closer, which is, you know, going to be fun for Dame. But the the rules are slightly different. So essentially, we're seeing this preseason game that, you know, these exhibition games, they don't count. It's simply a way for them to adjust to each other. We're seeing a team that has played together. This is the first time they're playing together. They're missing three of their players, possibly key players for them. And they're adjusting to slightly different rules, especially for a team of guys that are used to getting calls. Well, maybe except for Dane. (laughs) I say that in jest just for anyone listening, but they, you know, there's some adjustment. So I think, you know, it's, this is going to be fun. It's fun to watch these games. It's fun to see them play together. I mean, when are you ever going to see Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard playing together? Probably never again. So it's really cool to watch these (laughs) back in 2007. Oh, what could have been? Oh, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Yeah. Then they wouldn't have gotten Lillard probably, but sorry, didn't mean to poke your So we're, so we're seeing, you know, we're getting to see some really cool combinations of players that we wouldn't normally get to see. So internet, just enjoy, just enjoy the exhibition games and wait and see, because when we go to the Olympics, I have no doubt that this team will come out and they will do well. Yeah. I mean, they'll do well. I don't know if they'll win. I think this does have a little bit, uh, shows the flaws a little bit in the system, but let's go back to something you said there, actually the three point line. I don't think that advantages Dame actually, or the NBA players. And I'll tell you why. Back when Tiger Woods first started, he he hit the ball longer than anybody. That was his hallmark. He was just huge drives off the tee, off the tee, right? So they did what they call and dang them for doing this. I don't see why they they like changed the whole sport to take away his edge, which is stupid. What jerks? Okay, in retrospect, that's terrible. But they called it tiger proofing, and how they quote unquote tiger proofed courses was. They made the fairways that much longer. They made like 500, 540 yard fairways, right? So Tiger couldn't reach the green in one hit, right? Except that wasn't Tiger proofing it. That was actually, if Tiger hits longer than anybody and you make long hits Makes necessary. Makes it harder for everybody else. Yes, exactly. You just you, you just did the opposite of what you thought, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's the same with the three-point arc. If the three-point arc goes in, more people can hit it. And by the way, modern yeah. NBA players d- don't shoot in that mid-range. They don't shoot at that closer jumper. They can. Right. And I think they'll be fine, frankly. But you're not necessarily playing to their advantages. If you want to really advantage Dame, move that sucker out to 35 feet. And only the only 35-footers are three-pointers. Then only Dame's going to hit them. So I think yeah. I think that the players will have to be a little bit more careful about that. I think the advantage it could give yeah. them is that they could move a little quicker. They can close out at the three-point arc better because it's closer. Yeah. So that defensively, I yeah. think it's advantage, but offensively, I think it actually advantages all the yeah. world teams. Yeah, you're right. Well, and the other thing is that that you know I think we fail to realize sometimes is 
just because a player isn't in the NBA doesn't mean they're not incredibly talented. There are incredibly skilled basketball players in many countries in the world. The fact that a, a national team can be good enough to beat the USA is not a, a wild thought. That's not a crazy thing. And I think people have this idea that it's, you know, the best of the best. The NBA is the best of the best. And so if you have an entire team made up of NBA players, then they're obviously going to win the Olympics. Well, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a great thought, but there are really talented players that play in, you know, for other countries. And even there are NBA players that are playing for other countries, national teams, because they they're not from here. So I think, first of all, the gold is not guaranteed for the U.S. I mean, obviously, we all want to see Dame win a gold medal. I think that would be really cool and exciting. And, and you know, I'm hoping we're all cheering for the U.S., although, you know, I mean, people are from different countries, too, than Blazer fans. So maybe not. But it's fun to get to kind of be on the same side as everybody for once. But that being said, you know, the, the, it's not a given. And there are other teams that are going to be really good. And, and at the end of the day, it's going to be fun to watch really good basketball. Well, yeah, and, and hopefully you'll see that. I mean, and, and this is the weakness, of course. Well, there are two. One is putting the team together last minute is always going to be an issue because a lot of these foreign yeah. players have played together for their country for years and years. Right. Right. I mean, since right. they were tabbed when they were 15 as potential well, that's what players, I, right? That's what I was saying about the teams in the, in the bubble. You know, yeah. some of these teams have played together for years and years and years. And they're used to playing together and then they're going together to the Olympics. Right. Also, the NBA style is no longer a mystery to international teams. First of all, everybody can watch it. Everybody knows yeah. how they play. Everybody knows how the NBA works. And so you're able to scheme against that better than you were in the 1990s. You know, because it's not that they didn't have coverage. It's not that people didn't know, but it wasn't. I mean, an entire generation now has grown up watching and knowing about NBA basketball and exactly how it's played. So, and by the way, a lot of these people, as you have identified, have spent time in the NBA. Players have spent time in the NBA and understand what's going on and how NBA players are likely to approach it. Therefore, even though NBA players are unquestionably the best in their system, and also, talent-wise, the best in the world. And I don't think that there is a doubt about that. There are more ways to cut into that advantage than there used to be, and more people are able to do it. So, yeah, it's not as easy as it used to be. And it's not, it's not a surprise under those conditions to see them lose a couple games in exhibition. I will be shocked if they lose a lot of early games in the actual Olympics. However, I think the world is not incorrect in looking at this team and saying, you know what? It could have some weaknesses. They're not invincible. And if you hit the right, it's like Jenga. If, I'm not sure we can reach that correct block. But if you pull it, they know and we know there's a possibility of that coming tumbling down. So let's go for that block and, and see if we can get it. I don't know. I just, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be fun to watch, if nothing else. And uh, I think that the the initial freakout that's happening because they lost the first two games, I think, is is maybe a little premature. But... We'll see. We'll see. We thank you for being with us. Uh, for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard, and we will see you again soon. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. Cloud is on his feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent! <laughs>